I'm going to say when prayers go up, and I want you to say blessings come down. And then when I say when blessings come down, I want you to say prayers go up. When prayers go up, and when blessings come down, amen. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for another opportunity for us to come together to hear a word from you. Once again, Lord, I pray for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Lord, do more than teach us about prevailing prayer. Turn us into men and women of prayer. Pray this in Jesus' name. The famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody was asked, why do you have to continually pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And his answer was, because I leak. <laughs> it is for that reason we need to continue to pray that God would outpour His Spirit on us. George Mueller, one of my faith heroes, um, he was a pastor in the 1800s. And he lived in a day and age in which no one expected God to do anything unusual. Nobody prayed. No one had faith in God. And he had this burden to help the people of his day understand that we served a God who heard and answered prayers. He gets married. Three weeks later, he and his wife, Mary, decide that if they have any financial need, they're only going to take it to God in prayer. Tell no one about it and only claim Matthew 6.33, as well as other promises. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. During his lifetime, during his ministry in Bristol, Mr. Mueller started the Scriptural Knowledge Institute to, to distribute Bibles and to give religious instruction. And he also began an orphanage. They educated and sent out into the world 121 1,683 pupils. They funded the annual salaries of 112 assistants, that is by faith. They supported 189 missionaries. How many missionaries are you supporting? If you would like to support a missionary, please stop by our ASAP exhibit. <laughs> the institution also distributed more than 281,000 Bibles, nearly 1.5 million New Testaments, and at least 111 million tracts. Over 10,000 children had been provided for through four orphan houses that God led Mr. Mueller to start. Over a period of 63 years, God supplied him with 7.25 million to fund these projects and more. When he died in 98, his worldly possessions were valued at $800. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, we can't take anything with us, but we can send it on ahead. Amen? I know of a number of individuals who, who have liquidated their 401ks because they believe that Jesus is coming back soon. 7.25 million to fund the projects. Do you know what the equivalent of that is in today's dollars? It's 87.5 million dollars. What an amazing God. And praise God, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Anybody here a little bit anxious? Maybe because you've lost your job or, or because of, of the recession? Do you know what the difference is between a recession and a depression? I've heard that, that if your neighbor loses his job, it's a recession. And if you lose your job, then it's a depression. 
whether you're going through a recession or a depression, friends, if we understand something about prevailing prayer, if we understand how to get our prayers to heaven, we've got nothing to be anxious about. Amen? Now, Mr. Mueller had a list of 11 arguments which he would present to God as a rationale for why God should provide him with needed funds. Mr. Mueller reminded God that his work for the orphans was not his own work, it was God's idea, and it was being done for his glory. Caring for the orphans was only secondary. His primary reason for putting his faith on the line every day was to prove that God hears and answers prayers. It was all for God's glory. Friends, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, we ought to do it for the glory of God. Amen? And even when it comes to praying, the things we pray for ought to be for the glory of God. Okay? And it is also important that we learn to pray well. In John 14, verse 13, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we pray well, God is glorified. When our prayers hit the ceiling, bounce back, and we get no answers, and that's our experience, the Lord is not glorified. Andrew Murray, in the classic with Christ in the School of Prayer, he says, when there is but little prayer that can be answered, the Father is not glorified. It is a duty for the glory of God to live and pray so that our prayer can be answered. For the sake of God's glory, let us learn to pray well. Can you say amen? I want to talk about prevailing prayer today and tomorrow. The word prevail means to overcome, to succeed. It means to gain the victory. So what does prevailing prayer mean? Charles Finney, often called America's foremost revivalist, um, he was a major leader in the Second Great Awakening, which had a, a, a great impact, impact on, the social his, on the social history of the United States. He says prevailing prayer is that which gets an answer. He also said, effective prayer is prayer that attains what it seeks. It is prayer that moves God, effecting its end. In the spirit of prophecy, we are told that prayer moves the arm of omnipotence. Ellen White even says that prayer moves heaven. How important it is that we understand something about prevailing prayer. Um, I want to tell you about a highly instructive incident um, from the life of Charles Finney. He says, on one occasion when I was in one of the prayer meetings, I was asked if I did not desire that they should pray for me. I told them no, because I did not see that God answered their prayers. Okay. So, um, if you're not seeing prayers, uh, if you're not used to getting answers regularly, um, you just might be careful about not just offering to pray for people, um, just so you don't experience rejection. <laughs> he says, I suppose I need to be prayed for, but I am conscious that I am a sinner. But I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me, for you are continually asking, but you do not receive. You have prayed enough to have prayed the devil out of this town, if there is any virtue in your prayers. On further reading of my Bible, it struck me that the reason their prayers were not answered was because they did not comply with the revealed conditions upon which God had promised to answer prayer. That they did not pray in faith 
in the sense of expecting God to give them the things that they ask for. Okay? God makes it very clear. He tells us exactly the conditions which we must comply with in order to see answers. And today, I want to look at five of the conditions revealed in Scripture for receiving answers to prayers. Please understand that today and tomorrow, I'll be talking about the conditions and the various dynamics of prayer and the hindering factors mentioned in the Bible. This will not be an exhaustive study, just something to whet your appetite. We'd like to encourage you to do further study with the tools you gain from this conference. Do a further study on the subject of prayer, and I'd also encourage you to go out and get some good books. Um, one really good book mentioned yesterday, it's being sold out there, The Kneeling Christian. It's a classic, excellent book to begin with. There are many other good books that will just really encourage you um, to want to pray more and to have the kind of experiences others have had through prayer. Condition number one. We must ask. And you may think, well, this is a no-brainer. But this is a condition mentioned in Scripture. And I want to help you understand why it's so important that we ask. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. You know, a lot of people say, why do I need to ask? Doesn't God already know what I need? I think we would do a whole lot better in our Christian experience, in our experience with God's word, if we would just take what God's word says and obey it. God says, ask, and the promise is, it will be given to you. In James 4.2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. If we're not experiencing revival and our churches are not experiencing revival, could it possibly be because we're not praying for revival? Luke 11, verse 1. It says, now it came to pass... As he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased. Just want to make a quick, quick point. We're told to pray without ceasing. But here Jesus was praying and he ceased. So praying without ceasing obviously doesn't mean we have to be on our knees at all times. Because Jesus certainly wasn't on his knees at all times. He's very active in labor. To pray without ceasing means to live in an attitude of continuous communion with God. When he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so then Jesus goes through the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer, which we are all very familiar with, we are told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God knows that we are in need of daily bread. Amen? But Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. We're also told to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does God tell us to pray that his will be done on earth? Friends, is it God's will that workers be sent out and the gospel be spread? Is that his will? What does Jesus tell us to pray? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Whose harvest? It's his harvest. What does he need us to do? He needs us to pray that the laborers will be sent out. Okay? When God wills to do something, it is necessary that God's people pray that it will be done. 
a look at scriptures reveals that though God is all sovereign, okay, from the very beginning of time, He has chosen to always work through His people and not independent of them. God has always worked through the prayers of His people. Okay? Um, scripture reveals no other way in which God intervenes in the affairs of this earth. Um, remember the story about uh, Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel and he was there with the prophets of Baal and they decided to have a showdown of the gods. And the prophets of Baal, they ranted, they raved, they cut themselves and no fire came down. Finally, Elijah took 12 stones, erected an altar, had it drenched with water. But when did the fire come down from heaven? It was when he prayed. Ellen White, in Great Controversy, page 525, says, It is part of God's great plan to grant us, in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. Okay. I don't understand everything about the Great Controversy, but God needs our prayers in order for his will to be done and for the work to move forward. The history of missions is the history of answered prayer. Who penned these words, pray without ceasing? Did Paul practice what he preached and what he wrote? In Romans 1.9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. The greatest church planter in earth's history was a man of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, he says, brethren, pray for us. He bathed his work in prayer. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. If we want to see the word go out, we need to pray. We need to leave Army Bible Camp on our knees. Amen? Forward on our knees. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, yesterday morning I heard that while I was sharing, there were 20 people in the prayer room praying. Such a blessing to hear that prayer was going on and that they were praying for these meetings. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4 mentions prayer three times. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. At our ministry, um, over a year ago, we decided to make prayer a greater priority. And from 1 to 2 every day, Monday through Thursday, and on Fridays from 12 to 1, we meet to pray. We open up our doors, and other people from other ministries and people from the community come join us for prayer. And um, one of the prayers that we began praying is, Lord, take us to the next level. Several weeks ago, I went to the bookstore, and I was able to pick up this one book by Wesley Duell called Mighty Prevailing Prayer. And I believe that um, this book was an answer 
to that prayer that God would take us to the next level. In his book, he says, Prevailing prayer is God's ordained means for extending his kingdom, for defeating Satan and his empire of darkness and evil, and for fulfilling God's eternal plan and bringing into effect his good will on earth. It is God's means of covering the earth with his blessings. Prevailing prayer is God's priority strategy for our age and dispensation. The history of the church can never be fully written until Christ in eternity reveals the mighty hidden prayer involvement of all his praying people. One of the regrets we're going to have when we get to heaven is that we didn't pray more. We're going to say, why did I spend so much time watching TV? Why did I spend so much time on Facebook? Two, three hours a day when I could have been interceding for the lost, praying for the advancement of God's kingdom. Psalms chapter 2, verse 8. God says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Wow, what an amazing promise. Have you heard of John Knox? The great reformer of Scotland. He was known for his mighty power in prayer. And his famous prayer was, Give me Scotland or I die. In response to his prayers, Queen Mary of Scotland is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe. His prayers shook up that whole country. Could prayer be that powerful that a queen would fear his prayers more than all the armies of Europe? Ellen White says in Heavenly Places, page 82, there is a mighty power in prayer. Our great adversary is constantly seeking to keep the troubled soul away from God. An appeal to heaven by the humblest saint is more to be dreaded by Satan than the decrees of cabinets or the mandates of kings. Friends, when we get on our knees and we start praying, it is game over for Satan. Amen? I love this next quote from the book Amazing Grace, page 257. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Now, I'm just wondering what Satan and his angels must look like during this weekend. They must just be trembling the whole time, huh? Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Friends, we have to ask. Condition number one, we need to ask. Moving on, condition number two, we need to ask specifically. In Mark 10, 51, Jesus said to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? In Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Do you believe that God wants to give you good things? We need to believe God's Word. Ellen White says in the book, Faith I Live By, page 224, to pray aright is to ask God in faith for the very things you need. In your ministry for the Lord, do you have specific needs? Do you need funds in order for the ministry to move forward? Ask God for the very things you need. Can you think of someone 
in the Bible who prayed a very specific prayer? There's a hint on the screen. It was Abraham's servant. Abraham has sent his servant to his home country to look for a wife for his son, Isaac. What a responsibility. How would you feel if someone who trusted you asked you to go out and find a spouse for their child? Well, he prayed this prayer. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the wall of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. And Lord, please send Miss Mesopotamia. Please make sure she is tall and very beautiful, that she cooks well, and that she knows how to ride a camel by herself. <laughs> is that what he prayed? His specific prayer was this. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He trusted the Lord to choose that individual for Isaac's. Isaac. Okay. Okay. And he just wanted to make sure he knew who that individual was that God was choosing. It's okay to make lists, okay, for those of you who are single, to make a list of the kind of partner you want, but ultimately, let God choose for you. Amen? Just tell you a quick testimony about how I met my wife. I finally came to the point in my life where I had to kiss dating goodbye because I was afraid of marrying the wrong person and being stuck with that person for the rest of my life. Um, I met Liana back in 95. She was just becoming a Christian and um, I just saw this glow about her. God had done something special in her life. And um, God meant a lot to her because after her fourth year of college, um, she was offered, um, she was given a, job, a very lucrative job offer, and she turned it down because she wanted to keep the Sabbath. And when I came back to the States and I heard about that, I was like, wow. I could use a woman like that in my life. <laughs> well, four years later, four years later, I'm traveling through Korea because she's in Korea and I'm living in the United States. And I met up with her and we got together. The Lord providentially worked it out for us one afternoon to get together and we're just sharing our stories of how God had led us through the past four years since we had last met. You know, we never kept in touch during the four years. And I started thinking, wow, maybe God has prepared her for me. Now, there's only three things I knew about her. She loved God very, very much. Secondly, she graduated from a good university, one of the top universities in Korea, so she was, a, she was a bright gal. And the third thing is that we could communicate together as friends, and that was important to me. But other than that, I didn't know much about her. But it was okay. It was okay. Because I was going to trust God in this. And so I started praying, saying, God, give me a sign. After I left Korea for three and a half weeks, I started praying, God, give me a sign. Let me know if she's the one. If she's not, I want to discontinue contact with her because I don't want to just draw out her affections, and mislead her, and then eventually cut off, the relation, uh, cut off the friendship and then risk hurting her in some way. And three and a half weeks later, God gave me a very clear sign, and I called her up the next day, and I said, Liana, I want to marry you. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't have to ask her, will you marry me, because God already showed me, amen? <laughs> but, but my wife was very excited too. Because God had showed her already that, that 
God was leading us together. Okay. Um, when it comes to seeking a marriage partner, I'm a firm believer in asking for signs because I believe that marriage is the second most important decision that you can make in your life. Who you marry will determine, um, depending on who you marry, your effectiveness in ministry will either increase or decrease. Amen? Just one week ago, Sabbath afternoon, my wife and I got together with a few of our praying friends to talk about how we could um, strengthen the prayer ministry at the church that we attend up in Berrien Springs. And um, during lunch, we were all sharing our stories about how God had brought us together. And this one gal from Australia shared with us that in her early 20s, um, there was this one young man at church that she was interested in, but she didn't know him very well. And one morning, she got on her knees, and she prayed to God, saying, God, give me a sign as to whether um, I should entertain any thoughts of this individual as a potential partner. She got up off her knees, and she opened up her Bible, flipping the pages to the designated spot for the reading for that day. But as she was turning the pages, she ended up turning the um, Bible to this one page, and her eyes fell upon this text, which said, and no sign shall be given to you. <laughs> well, she giggled, and she thanked God, because she had her answer. God is good, amen? God speaks to us through his word. F.B. Meyer in his book, Elijah, says, Elijah's prayer was definite. This is where so many prayers fail. They are shot like arrows into the air. They are like letters which require no answer because they ask for nothing. This is why they are so wanting in power and interest. We do not pray with an expectation of attaining definite and practical results. Let us keep a list of petitions which we shall plead before God. Let us direct our prayer as David did and look up for the answer, and we shall find ourselves obtaining new and unwanted blessings. Be definite. Last year, as we were preparing for our first Army Bible Camp at Soquel, we were thinking about having a maximum attendance of about 300. We had one month to go before the event. You know how many people had signed up despite the extensive advertising? 45 people. And some people began to doubt, saying, are we fooling ourselves? Maybe we should call this thing off. But we kept praying, God, give us 300. And on the day the event began, we had, three, we had over 300 people registered. And not all were present because a few were coming a few days later, but we had three register, 300 registered. And on Sabbath, the attendance swelled to 350. For our second Army Bible camp in Canby Grove, we prayed for 400 and had a similar experience. And God blessed us with 400. For this event, we began praying for 500. On August 1, we had 129 people registered for this event. On August 12, when online registration closed, do you know how many people we had? We had 200 people registered. But we kept praying, God, give us 500. And I believe the Lord has blessed us with 500 here at this camp. Pray specific prayers. Be definite. Rosalind, go forth was a missionary to China with her husband, Jonathan. In her book, How I Know God Answers Prayers, she says, I learned that prayer was a secret which overcame every obstacle, the, the key that unlocked every closed door. I felt like a child learning a new and wonderful lesson as I saw benches, tables, chairs, stove, fuel, lamps, oil, even an organ coming in answer to definite prayer for these things. 
But the best sight of all was men, men and women deep in sin were converted and changed into workers for God in answer to prayer. And we have seen people who are here today because of prayer. Amen? We need to ask. We need to ask specifically. We need to ask in Jesus' name. In John 14, verse 13, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He uses the word whatever. What a wide promise. Unbelievable. Okay, Jesus is meeting with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. Most of John chapter 13 and then John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 is in red letters because it's Jesus speaking. On the eve of his crucifixion, there are a few things that weigh heavy on his heart because he is committing to these disciples the work that they need to carry on. And he says, you need to come ask in my name. And he needs to make sure that they get this. And so he repeats this six times. In John chapter 14, verse 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Once again, what a wide promise. In John 15, verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John 16, verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Beautiful promises, amen? John 16, 26, in that day you will ask in my name. Obviously, asking in Jesus' name means more than saying a prayer and then finishing your prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? What is a person's name? When I hear a person's name, um, I think of that person's character, reputation, the impressions that person has made on me. Okay. The name represents the person. If we're talking about a king's name, the name of a king represents his honor, his power, and his kingdom. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 667, he explained that the secret of their success would be in asking for strength and grace in his name. He would be present before the Father to make requests for them. The prayer of the humble petitioner he presents as his own desire in that soul's behalf. Wow. So we come in Jesus' name. Jesus takes that prayer and he presents it to the Father as if it was his desire. This has helped me to understand some statements I have read that in the past didn't really make a lot of sense to me. For example, this one from the classic The Kneeling Christian. Prayer is omnipotent. It can do anything that God can do. When I first read this, I was like, I think that's kind of stretching it a little bit. But now it makes sense. Let's read this again. He would be present there before the Father to make requests for them. The prayer of the humble petitioner he presents as his own desire in that soul's behalf. Here's another statement by Ian Bounds. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And then he goes on to say, it is a tremendous statement to make, but it is a statement borne out by history and experience. All right, who wants to be a millionaire? Raise your hand. Most of you are all humble. Uh, I won't raise my hand. 
What could you do with a cool million dollars? I want you to think for a moment. What could you do with that? You would give it to army, right? So they can continue this ministry, amen? Okay. I want you to imagine with me for a second that, that you are rich. You are filthy wealthy. I mean, you've got the kind of money that Bill Gates has. Money is not an issue for you. And you're generous. And often people come to you asking you for money for various projects. And you give out money. But would you feel comfortable ever giving out a blank check to someone? If you were to give out a blank check to someone, to what kind of an individual could you possibly give a blank check to? Thank you. Someone you trust. It would never be to someone you couldn't trust or someone who'd be selfish, right? We could just write that off. Someone you trust. It would also be probably someone who shared similar interests, right? And someone who's a wise steward. And someone who possibly, through their spending, would make you look good. Is that correct? I mean, and obviously that comes back to someone you could trust. You're not going to give a blank check to someone who's going to squander your wealth and make you look like an idiot, right? Listen to the statement. Um, it comes from the classic with Christ in the School of Prayer. Jesus solemnly gives to all his disciples a general and unlimited power of the free use of his name at all time for all they desire. He could not do this if he did not know that he could trust us with his interests, that his honor would be safe in our hands. Does that help you to understand what it means to pray in Christ's name and why it is that he could give us such wide promises using words like whatever you ask or anything you ask? In Desire of Ages, Ellen White says, to pray in Christ's name means much. It means that we are to accept his character, manifest his spirit, and work his works. Friends, isn't that what we want? To accept his character, to manifest his sweet spirit, and to work his works. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Isn't that amazing? And it's the next verse, verse 13, where Jesus says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We need to ask. We need to ask specifically. We need to ask in Jesus' name. And we need to ask according to God's will. James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if he asks anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. God reveals his word to us, his will to us through the word. We can know his will and we can go confidently in prayer to God. Amen? In the book Education, to page 257, we're told, Christ says, What things soever ye desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. 
He makes it plain that our asking must be according to God's will. We must ask for the things that He has promised. And whatever we receive must be used in doing His will. The conditions met, the promise is unequivocal. I love that last line. The conditions met, the promise is unequivocal. James Frazier, um, he was a missionary who served in China, worked with the China Inland Mission, which was founded by Hudson Taylor. He said, Unanswered prayers have taught me to seek the Lord's will instead of my own. I suppose most of us have had such experiences. We have prayed and prayed and prayed, and no answer has come. The heavens above us have been as brass. Sometimes our petition has been such a good one to all appearances, but that does not ensure it being of God. Many good desires proceed from our uncrucified selves. I want you to think about the things that you've been praying about. Think about your desires. Are they God's desires, or do they proceed from your uncrucified self? Perhaps if we examined ourselves more thoroughly before God, we might even discover in some cases that the whole course of our life was not in accordance with His will. I think about my life, the first 22, 23 years of my life. It was not in accordance with God's will whatsoever. And no wonder, I never saw even one definite answer to prayer. I did pray at times when I had a bad headache. I'd say, oh God, take away this headache. Or when I'm sick and suffering, God, help me. But I don't recall God ever really coming through for me, and I don't ever recall receiving one definite answer to prayer. What right would a man have in such a case to expect his prayers to be answered? But is not this the fact with regard to much good Christian work? Get your work from God is a needed injunction. He ends by saying, How often Christian leaders make their own plans, work hard at them, and then earnestly ask God's blessing on them. I know of people, they pour their time and energy into a project that they want to do for God. And it's just not moving forward. The doors aren't opening. And I've seen people waste a lot of money and time doing that. And I wonder if it's because it's their project and not God's project. What did George Mueller say? God, this is not my work. It was your idea and being done for your glory. It is for this reason, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people who have been very active in church saying, God, God, Lord, Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I pray that none of us will have to hear these words. Prayers are always answered along the pathway of God's will. If you want to see answers to prayers all the time, seek to be right on the pathway of His will. I love the story. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, 
launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. When Jesus said this to Simon Peter, where was the best place in the world that Simon Peter could possibly be? It was out in the deep. Because that's, that's where Jesus told him to go. Launch out into the deep. That was the best place in the world. And he experienced the catch of his life. We want to seek to be exactly where Jesus would have us to be. Say, Lord, order my steps. Andrew Murray says, Do understand that there is no sure way, rather, that there is no other possible way of getting into God's love and blessing in prayer than by getting into His will. In prayer, give up yourself most absolutely to the blessed will of God. This will avail more than much asking. By the way, I want to share this uh, one quote. Um, this relates to Bible study. We must not expect God to reveal His will to us unless we desire to know that will and intend to do that will. Knowledge of God's will and the performance of that will go together. We are apt to desire to know God's will so that we may decide whether we will obey that, obey or not. Such an attitude is disastrous. If any man willeth to do his will, he shall know of the teaching. Amen. It was George Mueller that says that 90% of knowing God's will is just having no will of your own. Okay. And then go to God's word. Get on your knees and pray. Okay. But begin by having no will of your own. Amen? Amen? All right, we need to ask. We need to ask specifically. Ask in Jesus' name. Ask according to God's will. And the final condition that we'll discuss today is we must ask and believe, which means we need to exercise faith. In Matthew 21, verse 22, it says, And all things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. John Wesley, great man of prayer, founder of the Methodist denomination, great reformer used by God, says God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. In Mark 9, 23, Jesus said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Isn't that amazing? You know, the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. And here Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Charles Spurgeon said, our unbelief is the greatest hindrance in our way. In fact, there is no other real difficulty to our spiritual progress and prosperity. Our Lord can do everything. But unbelief can tie the hands of his omnipotence. Do you struggle with unbelief? Let's pray that God would help us with our unbelief. Ellen White has said, we may expect large things, even the deep movings of the Spirit of God if we have faith in His promises. Friends, as we come together to pray every morning, as we pray in the prayer room, we need to pray for His Spirit, believing that God's going to outpour His Spirit on us. Amen? Our greatest sin is unbelief in God. Wow. In Matthew 13, verse 58, it says, Now He did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Is God not able to do mighty things through your life because of your unbelief? Is he not able to do mighty things in your home for your marriage because of your unbelief? Is he not able to do great things in your church or in your community because of your unbelief? In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 657, we're told every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. D.L. Moody says, unbelief sees something in God's hand and says, I cannot get it. Faith sees it and says, I will have it. So how do you get this kind of faith? Spend much time in God's word. Amen? 
Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. S.D. Gordon says, Faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. It is kneeling and making the prayer, and then saying, Father, I thank thee for this, that it will be so. I thank thee. Then rising and going about your duties, saying, That thing is settled. Going again and again, and repeating the prayer with the thanks, and then saying as you go off, That matter is assured. In Matthew 9.29, it says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Great faith, great blessing. What do you suppose is the next line? Little faith, little blessing. No faith, no blessing. Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. My wife and I were at Soquel Camp Meeting a couple of years ago, and um, it was right before our move out to the state of Michigan to go work for Adventist Southeast Asia Projects. We decided that um, we were going to move out there after camp meeting and then trust God to look f- to find us a home out there once we moved out instead of making a pre-trip. And, and for several months, we had, been get, be, we had begun praying for the kind of home we needed. We needed a small home. We wanted something close to our ASAP office. And for several months, started praying. Well, we were at SoCal camp meeting, and one Sabbath morning, Elder Paul Ratsara, who is the president of the Southern Africa Indian Ocean Division, the fastest growing division in the world, shared this message about faith and shared some of the quotes I just shared here. And at the end of his message, he shared the story about Alexander the Great. Now, most people know that he was a mighty conqueror, but what most people don't know is that he was a very generous king. Once a year, he set aside a day when he would show his kindness to the people in his kingdom. And the people would come, line up with various requests. People had need for food, clothing, for medicine. And one by one, they would come tell the servant, and then the servant would bring the request one by one to the king, explain to the king, and the king would say, request granted. Well, this one individual came up to the servant and said, I would like a palace. And at first, the servant tried to, tried to persuade this man that this was not a good request. But he went on. He said, I want a f- fully furnished palace, and I want a banquet table prepared so that I could invite all my friends and family to come and celebrate. And once again, the servant tried to turn this man away, but he was insistent. And the king was watching very carefully and asked the servant to come and to tell him what this man's request was. And the servant said, King, you don't want to know. This is ridiculous. But the king said, tell me. Let me know. And so the servant explained, and the king listened very carefully. He thought about it, and then he said, request granted. So the servant was surprised and said, King, may I ask why you granted this man his request? And this was the king's reply. Most of the people that come here come with requests, small requests like food, clothing, medicine, that can be fulfilled by other people. But only this individual has come with a request that only I, as a king, can fulfill. This man makes me feel like I am a king. That's why I've granted his request. 
And my wife was there early Sabbath morning hearing that message, and she, she said, God, Lord, I've been asking for a small house, but now I ask you, oh God, for a palace. <laughs> Give us a palace. Well, she shared that story with me, and we began praying for a palace as we drove back home, packed our U-Haul, and headed for that long four-day trip out to Bering Springs. We got there Thursday evening. The next morning, we got up, and my wife was feeling a little discouraged. She opened up her Bible, and she was reading Psalms chapter 46 to 48, and she came across the word palace a number of times. She came running to me, and she said, God is going to give us our palace. Well, we went out that day. We stopped by the ACP office, checked some emails, and then went to the local Apple Valley um, grocery market. And we went, um, looked on the wall where they had all these listings for houses and apartments for rent. Um, we decided to check out this one place. We called up the owner. He met us there and gave us a tour of his home. And we realized that this house was in need of a lot of repair. And I was thinking, this is not a palace. I finally talked my wife into checking out the Ann Arbor apartments. And the reason I want to check those out is because they're nice and clean. But my wife was never interested in going into an apartment just because you've got neighbors and it's noisy. But I said, let's go check it out. And we went there. We saw the mailman getting into his vehicle. And I asked him where the office was. And he said, the office is located in downtown Barron Springs. But he just saw the owner go into one of the buildings. So we decided to go meet the owner. We went up to the door found that the door was locked. You needed a key to get in. At that time, a tenant came in, and so we followed the tenant in, and we met the owner, and she said, well, I have nothing available here, but I do have a house in downtown Bering Springs, and we're looking for a couple, just two individuals, to rent this place. She says, you want to check it out? And we said, okay. So she said, follow me. So we followed her in, in our car. Now, before showing you the house, I want to show you this quote which I really believe supports that beautiful story about Alexander the Great. In Desire of Ages, it says, He is well pleased when they make the very highest demands upon him, that they may glorify his name. They may expect large things if they have faith in his promises. And so we follow the owner, and we go out to the house, and we get out, and Leanna looks to me, and she says, This is our palace. And I don't know, it didn't sink in at that time. But we walked around the house. We checked out the house. And I'm thinking, you know what? This could be a house that glorifies God. And this is a view from the back. We have a little dock there. Um, it's actually a small two-bedroom house with a, with a big basement. And that's the view from the deck. This is our plasma TV. <laughs> we only have one channel, but it's free, and four programs. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. You see that little knot there in the tree? Well, that's the home of this little squirrel. And God has blessed us with all these little friends. We love pets. You know, when I joined the Ministry of Advent Southeast Asia Projects, I had to, uh, we, we gave up our little dog because we traveled so much, and it was hard. But, but God always makes up for any little sacrifice you have to make. 
these squirrels, they get hungry, especially in the fall and winter, and they do what they can to get the food out of the bird feeder. These are our groundhogs that come running through the back from time to time. These guys also swim very well. These are the ducks. Do you see the turtle on the log with the ducks? Here's a close-up. And out there, there are Canadian geese with their little goslings following them. And they made a visit to our backyard. Do you see that um, tree between the front door and the garage that looks like a Christmas tree? Right there? Well, my wife was doing some work around there, and she saw some dead grass and things hanging from that tree. And it kind of aroused her curiosity. She went up close to see what was there, and she discovered this bird's nest with an egg in it. So that night, we fried the egg for dinner. No, I didn't do that. But I was thinking, if the day were to come when we cannot buy or sell, the Lord can easily send us some birds okay, to lay some eggs. Amen? And if you're vegan, don't worry. Because the Bible says your bread and water will be sure. Amen? And in the winter, it's just absolutely beautiful. Here we have ducks walking on the water that's frozen. Friends, let's make God feel like he's a king. Amen? Let's expect great things from God and attempt great things for his glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear God, Lord, you are such an awesome God. Thank you for the privilege we have of calling you Father, and the privilege we have of coming in the name of Jesus with our petitions. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, help us to live lives and pray prayers that will bring honor and glory to you. Lord, bless my friends here, O oh God. Inspire them. Turn them, Lord, into praying men and women who will be mightily used by you to finish the work here on earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.